Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, verses 1 to 9. Which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of God's wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is, this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do keep that passage open, and let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth and its power. We pray now that by the power of your spirit, we might understand it and believe it and take it to our hearts, that we may become more like the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So the first part of our mission statement is that we have good news to share. There are two sides to having good news to share. Firstly, there is the bad news. Only secondly, is there good news to share. So two headings today, the bad news and the good news. Firstly then, the bad news. A well-known minister was called out late one night to visit a dying woman in one of the poorest parts of the city. After climbing the stairs to her grotty flat, he sat down beside the woman and tried to comfort her by speaking of courage and patience and hope and that sort of thing. The themes which had been the tenor of his preaching in the church but the woman interrupted him. All that's true, she said, but it's not for the likes of me. Just tell me how a poor sinner can get in, get into heaven. Then the minister remembered things that he'd never forgotten, although he had ceased to preach, and told her the Bible's simple story of repentance and salvation through the death of Jesus Christ. I got her in, he said afterwards. And what's more, I got myself in too. The gospel is made up of bad news 
and good news. The bad news is very bad indeed. Look at verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Bad news. The unbelieving person is dead. You can't get much worse off than that. But, I hear you cry, my unbelieving friends are very much alive. They're loving life. They have families, they have good jobs, they have lovely homes, they go on great holidays. They're very much alive, living lives to the full. But the Apostle Paul, the writer of this letter to the Ephesians, is talking about spiritual death. The unbelieving person is spiritually dead. In other words, they know nothing of God. They're spiritually stone deaf to the call of God. They're spiritually blind to the truth about God. They can't begin to engage with spiritual matters unless God gives them spiritual life. But the condition of every unbeliever is that they are spiritually dead. And although their lives may look very attractive, here is the reality. In verse 2, they are followers, followers of the ways of the world, followers of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Who is that? It's Satan. So our non-Christian friends have attractive lives but they are spiritually dead following the ways of the world, which means following Satan, who is the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. I had a friend in school who used to come to church with me. We traveled together every Sunday, together with his brother and his mother. All was well for several years. My friend then went to university and he didn't get stuck in with the church. He didn't get stuck in with the CU. And gradually, over time, he stopped living a distinctive Christian life. He subsequently got divorced and has had several different relationships. What happened to him and to his brother, I might add? They have become followers, followers of the ways of this world. 
and followers of the leader of this world, who is Satan. In this, they're typical of all those without Christ. There were no exceptions to this bad news, verse 3. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. We all live the same kind of lives without Christ. We have various cravings and we simply gratify them. That's why people eat too much and drink too much and take drugs and sleep around and use pornography or live for power. It's because we're gratifying the cravings of our flesh. The flesh here means our sinful nature. We all have a sinful nature. We can do good things. We're made in the image of God. But because we have a sinful nature, we will always do bad things as well. We will always gratify the cravings of our flesh. God is a holy God. God will not let sin like ours come into his heaven and corrupt it. Therefore, verse 3, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. God's wrath means his settled hostility to all that is wrong. God doesn't lose his temper. God simply is absolutely opposed to all that is sinful. God is perfectly just. And so he will send sinners who fail to repent into the place of punishment, the place where his wrath is displayed. We're talking here about hell. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So there's the bad news. Every human being is by nature spiritually dead, living in transgression and sin, living in disobedience to God's law, following the sinful ways of this world, following Satan himself, who is at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, before we were rescued by Jesus, gratified the cravings of our sinful nature, making us deserving of wrath, deserving of hell. What bad news. That's the context for our second point this morning, the good news. What good news do we have to share? We're able to share a wonderful word with only three letters that comes at the beginning of verse 4. But... 
There is all that bad news, but... But what? But God. Instead of abandoning us to the terrors of death and of hell, verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. Stop there. God looks at followers of Satan who have rebelled against God and are actively hating him, God looks at sinners like that and he loves us, verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, because of his great love for us, God comes to our rescue, verse 4b. God who is rich in mercy. Mercy is a wonderful thing. Thomas Tarrance was a member of the Ku Klux Klan. He was a violent white supremacist. One night, he and an accomplice attempted to place a bomb at the home of a Jewish businessman. However, they were intercepted by the police and a gun battle ensued, in which his accomplice was killed, and Torres Thomas Tarrance <coughs> was seriously injured. Tarrance saw his survival as a mark of God's mercy. Two years later, Tarrance escaped from prison with a few others. Again, there was a gun battle with police. One of Tarrant's fellow escapees was killed. Again, Tarrant survived. And he saw this as the mercy of God. He was sentenced to a long stretch in prison. But amazingly, he got parole, was allowed to go to university. And best of all, Thomas Tarrant became a Christian. He then went on to have a 50-year ministry as a preacher of the gospel. He viewed this very much as God's mercy to him. I don't have a leg to stand on when it comes to getting into heaven. I'm deserving of hell. There are no arguments I can make. I'm a sinner. I've disobeyed God countless times. I do not deserve God's blessing, but God is rich in mercy. How wonderful. God is rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy. He has plenty of it. He has plenty of mercy to share around. Justice would be my punishment. Mercy means I can be forgiven. I can escape the punishment I deserve. God is rich in mercy. And so wonderfully, verse 5, the God who is rich in mercy made us alive 
with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. So by nature, we're spiritually dead. We cannot do anything spiritually. We cannot even call out to God for help unless God makes us spiritually alive. At the height of his stardom, Mel Gibson realized he was empty. He'd achieved everything he ever hoped for, except for a sense of purpose. Gibson felt he was drowning in fame, wealth, drink, and despair. This led the one-time apparently sexiest man alive to his knees and back to God. In a Regis Digest interview, Gibson said, There was a time in my life when I was really searching. I was asking all those Shakespearean Hamlet questions. What's on the other side? Why am I here? I might have looked like I was living the high life, making movies and jetting around the world. But true happiness resides within. I was spiritually bankrupt. And when that happens, it's like a spiritual cancer afflicts you. It starts to eat its way through. And if you don't do something, it's going to take you. So I simply had to draw a line in the sand. Mel Gibson needed to be given spiritual life. And that's exactly what God does. Just as Christ was raised from the dead and is now alive in heaven, so the Christian believer has been raised from spiritual death and given spiritual life. That's wonderfully good news because having been given spiritual life, we can now call out to God and hear his voice and respond to him in repentance and faith. God, verse 5, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead and in transgressions. If you are a believer, God has now given you spiritual life. And you are able to come to him for salvation. Verse 5b, it is by grace you have been saved. There was nothing good in us. We were by nature deserving of wrath. But God was merciful to us. Having saved us from the punishment we did deserve, God has been gracious to us. He's given to us countless blessings that we do not deserve. It's by grace you have been saved. This really is wonderfully liberating. To be saved from hell by grace means that God has rescued us. Not on the basis of any good things we have done, 
but entirely on the basis of his love. God simply decided to love us. He simply decided to forgive us and bless our lives beyond measure. Christians often struggle with this. We need to keep learning the lesson over and over again that we're saved by grace and by grace alone. Bob's experience was typical. Bob's not his real name. Bob was going along as a Christian. Then he fell into sin. He stopped reading his Bible. He stopped praying. Eventually, he stopped coming to church. And then he started to think, well, I'm too bad to come to church now. I'm too bad to read my Bible. I'm too bad to pray. As if God accepts us on the basis of the good things we have done. We feel that unless we've been performing well lately, we can't possibly be involved in God's church. Let me tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. It is by grace you have been saved, through faith. <coughs> nothing you can do can make God love you anymore. Nothing you can do can make God love you any less. You are not accepted by God according to your performance. We're accepted by God purely on the basis of grace, of coming to God in faith and putting our trust in him. Verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. So not even putting our faith in God comes from us. God gives us the faith which saves us. Purely because God is gracious. Purely because he loves us. Verse 9. Not by works. So that no one can boast. No one can say. Well what a good person am I. I've put my trust in Jesus. I can take the credit for that. No. I can't. My salvation has nothing to do with my performance. It's not by good works. I cannot boast at all. So here is the good news we have to share. God is absolutely gracious towards sinners. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He is gracious and loving. That's why Paul says 
in those words we started with from Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I wonder, are we ever ashamed of the gospel? As a church, we want to love the gospel and to preach the gospel, share the gospel with everyone that we possibly can. It's so tempting to adapt the gospel, to try and make it more acceptable. But it's the true gospel, the authentic gospel, the biblical gospel, which is the power of God that brings salvation. No gospel, no power. The history of the last century has taught us this. Tens of thousands of churches in this country have moved away from the gospel. And the result is that they get smaller and older and die off. All around the country, you'll find closed down churches and chapels. Some of them turned into shops or bars or nightclubs. All because someone was ashamed of the gospel and decided to try and teach something more acceptable to our culture. But no gospel, no power. We must never be ashamed of the gospel. It alone is the power that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Have you believed this gospel? Have you believed in Christ? Have you come to God as a sinner? Have you freely confessed your sin to God? Have you asked him for forgiveness? This is for everyone, for Jew and Gentile. Whatever your background, the gospel is for you. God offers you righteousness. God sees our sin. He sees us in our rebellion against him. He sees how unrighteous we are. And God gives us righteousness. He gives us faith. And then he gives us righteousness. He makes us absolutely clean and perfect in his sight. He makes us good enough for heaven. All by faith. From first to last. Not by good works. 
simply by putting our faith in Jesus and in his death on the cross. The reason why the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation is because Jesus left the glory of heaven, was born as one of us, lived a perfect life, and then died on the cross in our place, taking the punishment for our sin, that we might be forgiven and given righteousness. A great exchange takes place. Jesus takes our sin on himself on the cross. He gives to us his righteousness. We're made just as righteous, just as clean, just as accepted by God as is Jesus. And all this is by faith, by simple trust in Jesus as our rescuer. This is what we stand for as a church. This is the first part of our mission statement. Good news to share. What good news it is. Are you sharing it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. Lord, when we look at our own lives, we see the bad news. We see our sin. We see our folly. We see our rebellion against you. But we thank you, Father, that the gospel is such good news. Thank you that you make us spiritually alive. Thank you that you make us righteous. And so we come to Christ and to Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins, for the gift of heaven, for a relationship with you. <coughs> Lord, make this true for each one of us here today or listening at home. Grant us to be spiritually alive and righteous. And Lord, where this has happened to us, make us sharers of this good news. For Jesus' sake, amen. <clears throat>